What movie did we just watch, Amy? We watched I Want to Hold Your Hand. Oh, that's nice, but what movie did we watch? Uh, uh, ha, 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 ha. Uh, no, no, we watched uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand from 1978, Robert Zemeckis's first directing film. Yes. I believe. Feature directed. He did some shorts because they were an extra on the Blu-ray. Feature director. And of course, he went on to do things like Back to the Future mm-hmm. and Death Becomes Her and lots of movies yeah, that we know and love. Not loading. Yes. Uh, Romancing the Stone. Oh, I pulled it up. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Forrest Gump. So, you know, some good movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but this is kind of, I think, more of a little, a little known one. It it didn't make its money back at the box yeah, office. This it was is considered this a flop. Criterion Edition is the first home release it's ever had. Mm. Outside of, I think there was one in England. Um, and that was in 2018, 2019 mm. is when this happened. Uh, so yeah, not a super well-known Zemeckis film. Zemeckis and Bob Gale technically um, wrote it. Bob Gale also wrote Back to the Future. And may have been Oops. involved in other Zemeckis films, I don't know. I just yeah. know they worked together on those, too, because I recognized his name in the credits, too. Yeah. Well, and then they worked on a film uh, after this called 1941, which, which had several of these actors. Yeah, according to the internet. Yeah, I've never heard of it. <laughs> no, no. Learning uh, from the briefest amount of research that we do, <laughs> looking through Wikipedia and IMDb. Yeah. And produced uh, by Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Like, right after Jaws. Who brought it. The credibility for the movie studio to actually give it a green light. Yeah, because Zemeckis was unknown, and they didn't want to deal with that. Uh, So, as usual, these are just our first impressions. We'll talk about the whole movie and all the spoilers, but spoiler, there's really not any spoilers. Like, it kind of goes... It's a very light comedy. It's going to (laughs) go. Not a lot of surprises, necessarily. A lot of humorous unexpected situations yeah so this uh the film was made in 78 it Mm -hmm. takes place in 1968 yes um right prior to the beatles um on the ed sullivan show yes their 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 u.s debut and it follows a group of teenage uh girls for the most part Mm -hmm. uh trying to get to see the, the Fab Four, yeah. whether on the street, in a hotel lobby. I mean, ideally, yes, the Ed Sullivan show, mm-hmm. but um, that's it's really, really yeah, hard to go, get into. go to any ends to see the Beatles. Yes, <laughs> yes. And that's what the movie's about. Like, it's, it's, it's not, I don't know, straightforward is the word I would use, but it's very focused. Well, it, to me, it, it reminds me of, of just, like, the coming-of-age sort of road trip journey oh, yeah. things Absolutely. like watching book smart mm-hmm. um super bad yeah. well in the the brief part of the interview i watched on the criterion disc they mentioned like american graffiti was an inspiration for this which is absolutely relevant i don't know i haven't seen american graffiti. i saw american graffiti once like a decade ago yeah. so i don't remember it but it it is often cited as one of the first of these like one night films Going on an adventure. Yeah. The young people. Getting into um, trouble. Getting into trouble. Causing problems. Yeah. I, I was pretty sure in watching the earliest when they were driving from somewhere in New Jersey to New York City, um, that perhaps we shouldn't give driver's license to 
people whose brains are not fully developed yet. <laughs> which is around age 25. Yeah. Because uh, they were doing some crazy driving. Yeah, the the guy climbing in through the driver's window as they're going down the highway. Yeah. Um, and these shots of the two cars coming down the road, and there's a body hanging in between. Like, you know, the they were, there was safety involved. But yeah. it looked super dangerous it did. for a, a relatively small stunt. It's, it's funny, almost the smaller the stunt, the more terrifying it seems. Like when Jean-Claude Van Damme did the splits between two trucks going down the highway. That didn't yeah. seem as dangerous for some reason because it wasn't some dumb teenager jumping between cars. Well, yeah. I ha- yeah. <laughs> Better faith than Jean-Claude Van Damme yeah. putting the safety protocols. <laughs> Um, into place. She's gonna jump up. Yeah, we might get a kitty join us. Um, the actors in this, I'm not familiar with them. The I'm actually only one I knew was Eddie Dietz because he plays these sort of nerdy guys. Like he still plays these sort of nerdy guys. He's got that one type. The, um, uh, the other, the Ringo. Um, yes, the, the Richard. Richard Ringo, the other. Um, super nerd uh, about the Beatles, yeah. paired with Rosie for much of the film. Yeah, I could tell Rosie. I think she was my favorite. Yeah, I just loved the over dramatic, over was... the top, <laughs> emotional. Everything is the most important right now. Always. Yes. <laughs> Her level starts up here. Yeah, I'm just holding my hand up. Very high. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and she breaks down in the elevator when he breaks it. Yeah, and just the tears. The, the style of sobbing. Yeah, it was very funny. Um, yeah, I was I was a little surprised, again, with a film like this, I was a little surprised at how little time the four main characters really interacted with each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they go on their different... So Rosie is kind of the impetus pushing them mm-hmm. to go... To New York City. Well, it's really the uh, the photographer. Yes, the photographer has the practical reason yes. for going. Can't remember the photographer's name. Was she Grace? I think she was Grace. Um, yeah, Wikipedia is not loading for me, so we have to go off your phone. Oh, uh, I think she was. I think she was Grace. Grace, because um, um, Pam was the long hair. She was the. Oh, who was the uh, one engaged? Janice? Janice. That was Janice. Okay. 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 So the uh, photographer who we think was Grace. We think. <laughs> really wanted to get a shot of the Beatles mm-hmm. um, so she could sell it to a newspaper and get a newspaper. She wants to be a journalist yeah. when she grows up. And this is how she's going to do that. Yeah. So she is the practical reason, I guess. She's like the brains, and Rosie is like the heart <laughs> of getting them the there. <laughs> um, at one, she's obsessed with all the radio calling contests. Yeah, because she knows more about the Beatles than anybody else. So so she knows the answers. Some t- point while they're road tripping, she hears it on the radio, and she's like, no, you got to stop. Stop the car. They Let won't stop, so she gets out she of the car. She jumps out of the moving car. To get to a payphone. <laughs> and they drag her back into the car. I think one um, of my favorite bits was the first time she made a call in the record shop when she yeah. just throws a handful of coins yeah. at the phone. It's like, it's I guess like, that works. Which one? I don't have time to get one dime. 
Oh, yeah. So the other characters, Pam um, is an anti-Beatle. Yeah. Um, she likes real music. She cares. Right, right. So you've got that theme of, of the Beatles not being like quality yeah. music. And right. we can talk about how um, popular things are often seen more as lowbrow. Yeah. Although I think she goes on that journey to a certain amount over the course of the film. Like I think oh, that's, yeah, I yeah. think I think the film has that conversation in interesting ways because when she sees the kid getting beat up and the cops um, like trying to arrest them and she realizes that like there is something like anti-establishment in the Beatles and this was obviously yeah. like early sixties Beatles or not early sixties but early Beatles um, when the most ridiculous thing and anti-establishment thing they did was have long hair. Yeah. And, and long being a, a very relative number yeah. of inches. I mean, was 1968 really the year they were on Ed Sullivan? I think so. It was it was 68 or 69, yeah. Okay. My sense of time is about a decade behind Yeah, um, in this area. Okay, so Pam comes to this. She's, she's a folk fan, like yeah. Peter, Paul, and Mary, um, and... They have real music with yeah. a real social yeah, if message. If you just listen to the words, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it means. Just listen to the words. Have you ever listened to the words? Yeah. <laughs> and then the fourth girl on this journey, um, we think, was named Janice. Yes, <laughs> she's engaged to be married. Yeah, and they're by eloping. Elope. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're she eloping the next day. Um, told her parents, and I mean, these are teenagers, mm-hmm. so um, still in high school. So yeah. you got him 16, 17, maybe. Although her, her fiancé seems much older. Well, that's probably <laughs> Why one of the reasons <laughs> they're eloping. Uh, and she doesn't want to go on this journey mm-hmm. because she's afraid it might upset her fiancé. Mm-hmm. And kind of gets just dragged along and yeah. drags her feet. Um, <laughs> actually has one of the biggest adventures yeah. in the film. I The scene of her realizing where she was like there's so much physical comedy in this right Um, because it's it's in the like kind of uh what do you call it went doors farce like farce space of who's opening doors when Mm -hmm. who's like getting into the elevator right before someone comes off the elevator and a good portion of the film is in the hotel the beatles are staying in yes and they're all um they start out together but then they all kind of go on their own journey to Mm -hmm. find the Fab Four. Yeah. And Janice, the fiance, ends up in one of the uh, carts. Yeah, the, the housekeeping or the, the the room service carts. Yeah. Um, and accidentally gets rolled into the Beatles' hotel room. <laughs> when they're not there. When nobody's there. Um, and yeah, she, she, she sort of just crawls out. She knocks over everything on the table. And yeah. this, the, again, this is like super smart filmmaking um we see like she's knocking everything over on the table it's a bunch of bottles of coke and a bottle of bourbon or scotch scotch Scotch. um and we had literally like in a throwaway joke at the very beginning like what's the beatles favorite drink it's coke with a splash of scotch (laughs) and so like that piece of visual storytelling like told the audience immediately where we were yeah and then sort of she starts to realize it as as she's walking around and 
the the shot of her like falling to her knees as she sees what we don't see it turns out to be their instruments yeah <laughs> and she like crawls across the floor like just Again, this is the person who's like, I don't really care about the Beatles. I don't yeah. have time for frivolous yeah. stuff. I'm going to get married, and, and she's I'm very just important. Collapsing, <laughs> and it's it's great. And then yeah. and then she molests the bass. <laughs> yeah, she's like making out with <laughs> the bass, just like caressing the instruments. Oh, the uh, goes through all of like their dirty dishes. So mm-hmm. he's like touching all the dirty dishes, taking sips from the glasses yeah. sticking them in her pocket <laughs> again great visual joke when she gets found out and she's arrested and she's just pulling yes. stuff out of the box here's a fork cutlery. and a cup <laughs> i think it's one like of them was like a burnt a whole, cigarette a whole table set. <laughs> oh. and then when she goes to the the bed yes and she just gets in the bed and she just rolls yeah. around <laughs> in it which kind of reminds me of the cat when she like Yes. Wants to get her smell on things. Yeah, I just, I gotta get into this. And just, um... <laughs> and then smell. Um, yeah. And then the classic bit. Yeah. They come back. And she has to hide under, under the, the bed. bed. <laughs> and that's, they, she doesn't get caught. No, she doesn't get caught by them. Um, she's just, she hangs out there. She eventually falls asleep. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, that's another, it's a narrative trick that I think that they did, that that the format of having these sort of four different stories happening simultaneously, is it really allowed them to always show the best bits of any given story, and when we get to what would be a boring part, we can cut away to someone else and then skip to the end Mm -hmm. of the interesting part when it picks up again, Um, which I thought was very clever narratively. Um, like seeing her fall asleep like that's not as interesting like the the last time we see her before she falls asleep is like Ringo's like I gotta get these pants washed and somebody else is like well take them off and so you see his heels as he's dropping trow and she's panicking under the bed (laughs) and then we cut away to some other adventure going on I thought it was interesting too um, how we don't Think of something like that being stalkerish, oh, or any of these women yeah, trying. No, to get... I was thinking about that at the time, like while we were watching it. I'm like, like we're laughing at this because it's funny and silly, but like this is terrifying behavior. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is in in the stalker territory, and we don't like we often don't think of women as stalkers, mm-hmm. but it's so accepted, like with this storyline. Yes, of, especially a, I think in the past. Yeah. Yeah, too. The, the the pushing it back is like, well, it's, it was a simpler time, and it's like, well, no, these are still women like lying, cheating, breaking into places, invading, invading their spaces, privacy, taking their personal stuff. Yeah, well, and you see this sort of cult of fandom around them, and like selling the square inches of bed sheets. Ouch! My <laughs> felicity. It was a big jump. Yes, she just had to put her claws in for the landing. The way she she doesn't fall off. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there's, there's absolutely that sort of like disgustingness of it. I think we're a lot, we, we get to see, in a in a way to like make it not seem so terrible what our protagonists are doing, seeing, uh, Richard played by Eddie Dietz or Deason, 
um, like ripping up the hallway carpet or carrying around a foil wrapped piece of sod um, as sort of like the worst version of that or the most extensive Mm -hmm. version of that and then allowing our protagonists to be not that bad in air quotes. They just didn't have the opportunity to take a sample of sod that Paul McCartney stepped Stepped on. on. Yeah, no, they absolutely would have. Or Rosie would have at least. Yeah. Which is why she was such a connection with him. (laughs) Yes, that's absolutely true. And actually, uh, Janice was stealing cutlery and like sipping their beverages. And Mm -hmm. that's real creepy Mm -hmm. in a reality sort of situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But we sort of mythologize the Beatles in a certain way as well. We, we do. We also have, there's an interesting kind of understanding of those, that fandom mm-hmm. that's kind of like poo-pooed. They were harmless. Yes. They were just girls. Yes. They were just, you know, teenagers. Uncontrollable. Having, <laughs> uncontrollable. Uh, yeah. Let them have that moment. Then they'll settle down and, yeah. and be polite respectable yeah um young women so we, th- we throw away that fandom as like mm-hmm. not real fandom well, that's, that's one of the reasons the beatles were looked down upon so much in their early days was that they their fan base was primarily women and that immediately degrades things in a lot of the public's eyes mm-hmm. um you know twilight being sort of a more recent example or the other like boy bands that have existed throughout history um, you know, One Direction is a huge example of that, or Harry Styles. Right, right. Yeah. They're going to be taken less seriously when yeah. their predominant base is women. And yet, uh, women fans are a huge part of the capitalist machine oh, absolutely. Of, of music. There yeah. are there are several scholars that write about <laughs> girl fans, girl fandom, and yeah. how that, that functions in a mm-hmm. capitalist yeah, well, there's, there's interesting things you can get into with, like, fan fiction as sort of a, a reconstructive fandom, where a lot of fan fiction exists. I mean, obviously, there's, like, the self-insert fan fiction where you make yourself a part of that. Some of that's, though, because you can't see yourself in the actual media, and so you make yourself a part of it. Uh, some of it's the creepy One Direction, The Purge fanfic. Jenny Nicholson's got a video about that, <laughs> where it's The Purge, and therefore, I'm going to meet one direction it's it's a weird it, it's a weird it concept can go into dark directions. <laughs> yes um absolutely you know there's a uh book in the vein of 50 shades in that it was based off of a harry styles fanfic yes okay i can never remember what it's called because it has a one word name i can never remember i think it's but it's published right? oh it's published you can like go it's your bookstore and yeah get it. you can go pick it up it got made into a movie um, you know, which if I were Harry Styles, I would feel real awkward about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know how I would, like, I don't know that you can do anything about it from a legal well, standpoint. there's controversy in the fanfic community about doing fanfic about a person. Yeah, RPF is, is a real person fanfic is very controversial anyway. Yeah. Um, but groups like the Beatles inspire that in a lot of people. Yeah. Well, but yeah, it's it's ickier than like Kirk Spock slash Vic or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine that fandom. I, I can't imagine being that excited about something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I'm guessing it's just like something that 
you have to experience because yeah. it gets brushed off. Oh, absolutely. So they're overreacting. They're so emotional. Yeah. They're hysterical. Which I think is something that, with maybe the exception of Rosie, like this movie is not laughing at any of their passion about the Beatles. And even then, like Rosie is taken seriously as a character and as a person. Yeah. Um, some of her situations are a little more ridiculous. Uh, Richard busting through the glass doors of the elevator being, and then like spitting out a mouthful of glass. Uh, <laughs> like, would you open I your mouth when you jump sworn through? He just said it was plexiglass. I thought it was well. plate glass. Oh, it was plate glass. Okay. Okay. I don't know that plexiglass was super common in that's, 68. That's fair. I don't know that it wasn't, but uh, safety glass, I don't think was. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the movie treats their fandom seriously well and they're all in different parts of the fandom yes yeah they all have sort of different approaches to it and it it's not just you know screaming hysteria all the time yeah yeah so interesting things happening with gender you know Mm -hmm. the obvious one is the the all the the mass of fans yes um that are screaming Mm -hmm. and chanting moving as a mass um, and what happens? Yeah, there is the joke yeah. where one of the fans gets her foot stepped on and starts screaming, and then everybody else just starts yeah, screaming. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, no, I didn't see anyone. It's got my foot stepped on. Or the maid waving something out the window. Oh, yeah, it was a feather duster, a feather duster. which they uh, mistaken for, for a hand mistook or... for yeah. There, no, I thought it was like the mopsy head. Oh, like they I were shaking their head out the window. No, that makes sense. Which doesn't make sense for them to do, but but. Um, when you're when you're caught up in this, <laughs> even yeah. that chance, yeah, um, yeah. So things going why a bunch of uh, I don't have stats on these fans, but I'm assuming they're predominantly white middle class yeah. young women. That that is certainly how they're depicted. Um, taking some freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's an interesting moment in history to yeah. think of coming out of the 1950s mm-hmm. and the strictures put on mm-hmm. women and the control, the controlling of bodies. Yeah. And here they can be a here little these, out of control yeah. Yeah. and they can follow their own desires. Yeah. And, and can have something that is in a way like just for them, mm-hmm. you know, in the sort of, you know, you see the woman talk about how she's going to marry Paul um or john i don't remember which one she's gonna marry um yeah i think she's gonna marry john the random fan who is yeah, like who's just i'm gonna marry him and, you know and the reporter's like well he has a wife and she's like well like, anything could happen and you know people die all the time or they can get divorced <laughs> again getting into like stalker, creepy yes creepy. absolutely um but there's that there's there is, and I think this ties into some of that idea of like freedom or having something, but it's something that is yours specifically. Mm-hmm. Even when, yes, you're surrounded by thousands of people who are feeling the exact same thing as you are, being able to feel like something is strictly yours is powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, people felt like you know they were singing about you and your hand, and mm-hmm. it was it was that that connection, you know, the parasocial relationship we talk about mm-hmm. sometimes um, that fosters some of that i think and yes it can absolutely go too far and be creepy and lead to terrible stalker behavior yeah well and i think a lot of that gets brushed off because it's white women doing it and you know they're 
They're uh, safe. They're not threatening. Yeah. And the narrative goes that men love that. Yeah. They want to be, that's, they want the attraction. That's a joke in so many movies. Yes. Is women throwing themselves. Um, yeah. But the, also the, the, um, effeminacy reading of the Beatles. Yes. Uh, because there's a, there is a storyline that goes with a young boy. I don't know. 10 or 12 years yeah, old. I was guessing like 13. Yeah. With a Beatles haircut. Mm-hmm. And his. Top. Yeah. His father is furious. And um, this kid has tickets to the Ed Sullivan show. And his dad won't let him have the tickets Unless until he, gets a he cuts his hair and no longer looks like a girl. Yeah. And, and I say femininity because I think the effeminate is often a fearful word. Mm hmm. Um, I don't know maybe emasculate yeah it's, i mean it's, it's also it's like the, well it's the the sort of like the joke that the the sort of like cool daddy-o guy whose name i don't remember the guy who jumped in the car like he's like is it a boy or a girl and that, that sort of ambiguity of having long hair um that also got pushed onto the beatles i think yeah. at this time yeah let's I always think it's funny the Beatles were considered to have long hair. Like, I understand that was true. Yeah. Well, and eventually it got longer. Oh, yeah. And people... I was like, well, and what but I remember... so did the rest of the country's hair. Yeah. I, 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 when I was younger, I saw pictures of the Beatles in this Ed Sullivan era and was like, oh, they must not, like, that's not long hair. That's just, like, normal length hair. And then I saw pictures of them later. I was like, oh, that must have been what everybody was mad about with them having long hair. Well, it's this gender policing. Yeah. And it's, and it's veering on the side of men becoming more feminine or and taking on feminine traits such as... Long hair. Quote, unquote, long hair. <laughs> Shaggy. You know, a bowl cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really hard to imagine anyone running a bowl cut <laughs> at any time in history. But okay. Personal preferences are all different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but and the kid did not get get his hair cut and I the, felt good for him. He escaped <laughs> from the barber's chair. The scene in the barber shop too oh, when they're gosh. like it's like he's it's walking a horror into movie. Yeah, yeah, torture. <laughs> they're filming it like he's about to sit in the torture chair. Yeah, he's about to get electrocuted. And the torturer is just getting the tools yeah, ready. Yeah, when he's in the chair and, and his, his, like, it's super close up on his eyes and he's just sort just of lifting up rising. into frame. <laughs> it's just torturous. Like, make him look like a marine. Make him extra manly yeah. because gender. We <laughs> we got to do it right. We got to do his gender right. <laughs> uh, oh. But he got to go see the Beatles without getting his hair cut, and I felt good about that. He did. I was happy for him. He did. He did. So it it was it was good. Yeah. He got. Uh, another fun thing about the movie is they never show the Beatles. Yeah, you see like glimpses of them or some, occasional feet. shots from the back. Yeah. You see um, old footage from the Ed Sullivan yeah, show. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting choice that, they, that made it believable in a weird way. Like, you, yeah. you, you, anytime you saw them performing, you saw the monitor and then, like, them on stage very far away. Right, out of focus, so you can't... Yeah, so you saw um, four dudes dressed like the Beatles recreating that performance. Right, and then you'd hear a voiceover of 
people with Liverpool accents. Yeah. And, and you know, you can kind of buy, okay. Yeah. These are, you know, uh, yeah the, some of the accents when they were speaking were yeah. a stretch. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I I I can only guess that like maybe in the 1970s we didn't like have what the Beatles sound like so firmly implanted in our brains because like I know what Ringo Ringo Starr sounds like I know what Paul McCartney mm-hmm. sounds like and so like these were like close yeah. <laughs> yeah but they did the same thing with Ed Sullivan um, mm-hmm. they shot him from far away in front so you could yeah. kind of see you could see the big features yeah the, um, kind of the widow's peak mm-hmm. sideburns. And then the outfit and the body language fit Ed Sullivan really well. The voice fit really yeah. well. Um, you did see more close up, but only from his back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, that was that was a cool way to deal with historical figures. Yeah, it made me think of um, the TV show The Crown about the British royals mm-hmm. because of the way that they handle me. The famous people are the subject of the show. (laughs) The queen. The king. (laughs) Um, But the way they handle that is when there's TV footage of them doing stuff. It's always of the actors. It's not the original footage. They recreate the footage. um, Yeah. Yeah. Just just interesting choices to make. Yeah, it is interesting. They do different things. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, I was thinking about that when I was... I watched a few episodes of The Crown. I need to get back into it because it was good. Um, Yeah. I'm having trouble with season three, but yeah, well, that's with the new actors too. Yeah, yeah. I'm having trouble. Oh, I like the queen, the woman who's playing her. I like Olivia Coleman as yeah, well. Olivia Coleman, that's her name. But she is, disappears into oh, really? the screen, huh. and so you don't get you get the queen that more you see on TV. Okay. Who's very distanced. That's interesting. And when she's in her personal things, mm-hmm. whereas in the first two seasons, you kind of got to see in some of her idiosyncrasies, her personality. Okay. Um, huh. That's interesting. That she's almost erased. I mean, from an acting perspective, that's really interesting, like, that she can do that. Um, yeah. I'm still in season one, so. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm working my way through season yeah. three. I got really attached to the actors, too. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. And I'm going to do it again on the last two seasons. Well, and the ages don't make sense to me. Like, Yeah. They're both in in their 50s, and this is kind of the 40s of Mm -hmm. um, their lives. lives. Yeah. 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 Helena Bottom Carter, I feel like, always reads younger to me, though, so I feel like I buy that. Yeah, it's fine, because your age... It matters what you read as, yeah. not your actual age. Absolutely. Um, I had the weirdest reaction to watching um, one of the, the police or the guards in the hotel. I totally recognized him, and I spent, like, way too long on IMDb trying to figure out who he, who he was. Oh, yeah. Um, and the answer is, he's definitely just one of those guys. One of those guys. Um, but I did figure out, like, where I was reading him from, and it was he played a character in Gremlins 2, The New Batch, <laughs> which is a movie I watched a lot as a kid. I just want to point out to our listeners, Kevin doesn't recognize the famous people and where he's seen them before, <laughs> but you get one of those this obscure guy. character actors. He's like, I know this guy. I got to track him down. <laughs> And I did. And you did. <laughs> and that's who he was. 
And he, because he was in multiple scenes at the hotel. Um, he caught them on the elevator. He was one of the first ones that catch them on the elevator. Um, he was the one at the desk, like when the lamp got pulled down. That was him. Anyway, he played a character in Gremlins 2, and I recognized him from that. <laughs> I was just thinking about, too, how, like, bumbling these police officers yeah. were in these fight scenes. <laughs> Having just come off of Atomic Blonde a couple weeks ago. <laughs> the, the, the police in, in this movie... Um, I want to hold your hand. Take on that like comedy stance. There's a like, squat, and they put their hands out to like block people. Yes, and they're you know grabbing someone who mm-hmm. just you know swoops down, and you can't. Yeah, it's, can't it's get much them. funnier. Yes, yes. Yeah, very different style of of action sequences. <laughs> fun i liked that the stakes in each of the storylines managed to be continuously raised like and and not necessarily like they were all still the same goal like the same end point um but things kept getting like wackier and more far-fetched while still remaining a level of grounded that i believed it all like the barbershop scene, I think, is sort of the good, an example of that. Like, when, like, oh, we've set up this con. We're going to rob the dad of his tickets. We're going to bump into him. Oh, no, he still has the tickets. We grabbed his wallet, but they weren't in there. And so we have to, like, bust in and pretend I got hit by a bus. And, like, those sorts of things. Like, it was all realistic, even though it was comedic in execution and in performance and in situation, even. Um the only time that I was really like, this feels like a little too much, uh, was when the guy was climbing the tower with the axe. Yes, yes. His goal was to cut the cable so it couldn't broadcast. Yeah. It didn't gonna... seem motivated well yeah. to me. I didn't like the story. He was mad because all these women that he was hitting on liked the Beatles more than him. And so he was going to shut this whole Beatles thing down. Um, yeah, that one felt like one step too far yeah. out of that sort of yeah. realism and, and character-based stuff that I think so much of the other comedy really worked real well in. Mm-hmm. Although the, the punchline of that scene of him getting hit by lightning was funny. Well, the axe. <laughs> he got the axe hit, and then he fell down, and he was like, eh, okay, it's fine. Okay, God. <laughs> I'll Message take that. received. Cool. <laughs> Cool. And and so like that brought me back to be like, okay, it's fine. Like it was a little over the top, but eh, it earned it. Because <laughs> I feel like I I think about like Anchorman in weird ways. I don't know if you've seen Anchorman, have you? I have a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. Do I own it? Is it on one of my shelves? I don't, I, know. I don't know. I'm not seeing it in the A section. Okay. It may be in the bin where I put movies I don't actually care about. Um, But Anchorman and like a lot of other stuff in the Judd Apatow thing. They do they do two styles of comedy, which is they have people say jokes or they go like super over the top in a cartoony sort of way. Like there's a fight scene in Anchorman between a rival news team where like a guy gets stabbed with a trident and, like, that's funny in in that it's incongruous and there's a status shift of expectations there. And that's how comedy works. Um, but it, it doesn't feel 
tied to anything. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a Bugs Bunny cartoon. It's a Roadrunner cartoon. It's just sort of out there and silly. Um, and in the like five minutes of the forty minute interview we watched with um, Zemeckis and Gale and Spielberg, they talked about like how all of the stuff like their, their characters weren't saying jokes. They weren't saying funny lines. Mm-hmm. It was all doing things that fit who they were, and that was funny. Which I appreciated a lot. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I feel like we don't get that enough in comedies nowadays. Like, there's, they're few and far between. I think Edgar Wright does that really well. Um, well, it's too, because a lot of the style in filming comedies now is really to let the actors riff. Yeah. And then take the best yeah. take. Yeah, and... which I am so not into. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's real hit or miss, and it's yeah. a lot more hit. A lot more no, miss. miss. <laughs> The bad one. Words. They're hard. <laughs> Words are hard. Yeah, we'll let's do that take again until we find a funnier version of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then it'll just get more and more ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I appreciate comedies that do that. I think we, we didn't watch it together, but I watched uh, The In-Laws with um, Peter Falk and... Person. The in-laws with Peter Falk. And it does go over the top in that by the end of the movie, they've been captured by a drug lord in Colombia. And, like, it's ridiculous, but it also feels very character-motivated. So I think you can do ridiculous and over the top if it's grounded in reality or in in an internal reality. Mm -hmm even if it's not a, a realistic one. Like, the Trident fight, as I always think of in Anchorman, like, gets mentioned again once as another joke. I'm like, that was weird. Like, you stabbed a guy with a Trident. But it feels so disconnected from anything else that's happening in the movie and that that, that bugs me. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Well, Zemeckis is going to go on to do a very different style of films that are comedy but they're kind of more dramedy yeah adventurity yeah i mean back to the future is a hilarious film yeah like it is like a comedy first and foremost that just happens to use the trappings of a time travel action movie <laughs> um, i haven't seen romancing the stone we should watch that yeah i've i've seen it but like when i was a kid yeah um, um but there's so much zemeckis stuff that's just amazing that that is like, calling it a comedy feels disingenuous somehow. Genres are so hard. And yeah. it feels like we have two genres, drama or comedy, and that leaves the majority uh, yeah, most of film. shows and film out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he just, like, Forrest Gump isn't a comedy, except it's very funny. Or, you know, yeah, so many things. I think it's weird, too, of time. This is 1978. It's yeah. like 10 years before, 1968. Mm-hmm. And then anything in the past, to me, starts seeming, like, equally past. Yeah, it's all... After, <laughs> you know, before 2005, it's all the same distance away. Right. And so I was trying to think about what, like, cultural changing moment a film today could come out from 10 years ago yeah well what that, someone pointed out and i think i would go oh it's too soon to, yeah. to like make a movie about that well somebody said um mm-hmm. they've done this with days and confused i don't remember what the dates were on that um but like that 70s show started 
farther away from now than the 70s was when it started. Yeah. Like, that's the the jump that has happened there. But we don't think about making a show set in the mid-90s, except we have those. We have shows set in the mid-90s. We have Mixed-ish. We have Fresh Off the Boat. Like, we're setting mm-hmm. sitcoms in those times. We're not making it as obvious. But there's a lot of jokes in Fresh Off the Boat about being the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't feel out of place to me yet. No, these are just things you notice as you get older. What? Which is why I'm like, what? Oh my gosh, I've learned so many things in the last ten years. Imagine living for another like forty, f- you know, five decades. Yeah. Wow. I will. I learned so many I will things. have known so many things. It's okay. We'll probably forget some things too in that time. Well, frame. that's true. That's true. Um, I should look at my notes, make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, (laughs) The barber slipping on the gumballs. This is not anything important, but it reminded me of one of my favorite Conan O'Brien bits, which is the slip nuts. I don't know that one. It's a super dumb joke. Um, It's a recurring bit. The bit is that Conan O'Brien thinks that he's booked... Slipknot, the like heavy metal band that wears lots of makeup, uh, but he is actually instead booked the Slip Nuts, which are three guys who pour peanuts out of a bucket on stage and then slip around on them, and it's like a ninety second act, <laughs> and they have a song. It's like we're the Slip Nuts, slipping on nuts, slipping on nuts, palling around and slipping on nuts, <laughs> and it's it is the dumbest joke. Like, it is not funny. Like, it shouldn't be funny. But it always makes me laugh. Anytime I see somebody do a pratfall on, like, marbles or something like that, I think of that. Because my favorite bit was the, the band Slipknot knew about this joke, at least at one point, and brought the Slipknots on as their, Slipnuts on as their opening act for a night. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow, the fans of Slipknot were not excited about that. <laughs> Piling around and slipping on nuts. It's it's just the dumbest joke, and I love it so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I said all the things I cared about. Oh, other than uh, the the argument, I don't know how intentional this was, but it was interesting in this moment to see the angry dudes mad about the Beatles coming to our country. They're foreigners, kick them out was an interesting thing to see in this moment. I don't know how true that was to then, or if there was any commentary there, if that was just a thing people said back then also. But it was yeah. interesting. I, I was reading into the kind of the gendered... Yeah. The women love Oh, them. yeah, absolutely. The men are like, I'm threatened. Yes. But these floppy-haired goofballs. You must protect the women. Because <laughs> patriarchy... They can't have things they like. Yeah. That's all I got. Well, cool. I don't I guess this is just a Criterion movie. Yeah. Not available anywhere else. Anywhere else, but if you ever see it, it's yeah, I mean, fun. We got ours from the fun. library. Uh yeah, but we don't know when the libraries will be back open. They have digital libraries, you can get lots of stuff. They we, didn't, do. we didn't get this from a digital library. We had it. There's Canopy or Hoopla. I might get to keep the Chicago Manual of Style 17th edition forever now. (laughs) 
One day we might get you your own 17th edition of the Shrink Well, I have to make style. an income first before yeah, we can buy one more day. books. Got to get in the black, yeah. out of the red. And then, then you can read the Chicago Manual style, cover to cover, your own copy. Yeah, they'll have the 18th edition by that point. Oh, no! <laughs> All right, that's probably enough. Okay. Say goodnight, Amy. Good night, Amy.